All right, so I have a little bit of housekeeping to do about episode last week. So one of the things I wanted to say was that to not downplay the seriousness of being GBS positive. So really the risk of baby becoming infected postpartum is very low, but it is very serious. I definitely don't want to downplay how important that is. And if you can be treated with antibiotics, that that obviously is going to be the safest bet for you and for baby. The other thing is that you don't want to ever lie to your providers. So we talked about how we were kind of prepared to tell them that I hadn't, my water hadn't been broken for as long as it had been because we were nervous about the risk of more serious interventions. And so that being said, 24 hours is not a hard and fast rule for needing a C-section post water breaking. That's not the standard anymore. And as long as labor is progressing um, and that decision is made between you and your provider, that's totally fine. So absolutely why, again, why you shouldn't lie to your providers. You need to explain everything that's going on so that you and them can make that decision and that choice together. And so having a provider that you can have those conversations with and really feel comfortable and informed is the most important decision. Thankfully, we made the right decisions for us and everybody was healthy and safe and they monitored us for longer in the hospital after Cam was born or Roe was born to ensure that neither of us had any sign of infection, but just wanted to clarify that for everybody. Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment. 2013, I remember it so vividly. I was like in my living room. I think I was less than, t- I was like a week and a half postpartum with my first. That seems so long ago. I know. He's getting so big. And I, I like made the jump to like check out what was going on down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was very fearful to do it up until that point. And How long postpartum? Like a week and a half. Oh, okay. And I hadn't, I didn't really have any symptoms, but I was just like, what you know, like? what, how are we healing? What's yeah, going on? Yeah. What's the situation? And I looked and I saw like not normal. I didn't know anything about pelvic floor at the time. Like many moms, mm-hmm. like I didn't have a clue. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that doesn't look right. Something like it was like a bulge at the like opening yeah. Yeah. of the v- vagina. Were you and, standing when you looked? Yes. Okay. Well, hovering. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and I freaked out like freaked out immediately called the midwife i'm like i don't know what's going on i think something's falling out like it's not normal and she was so good i mean she's probably had that phone call a million times she was really good it's okay like things are still healing blah blah blah. but that was my first sorry i have my boob (laughs) (laughs) breastfeeding and podcasting multitasking just nipple right now (laughs) 
<laughs> and then it, I didn't have any symptoms of prolapse after David. And then it wasn't until after Owen that things came back, like pubic pain and prolapse and stuff like that. Prolapse yeah. is a big postpartum discussion. And I think the biggest thing that I think scares women when they're early postpartum and they look at their vulva is that the vaginal opening has stretched mm-hmm. a shit ton. Mm-hmm. Like it's still ten, a little swollen. Like but... a whole baby head, right? Yeah. It, with a vaginal birth. So the intraoidus, it's called, like the opening to the vagina, is going to be more open than we're used to. And so we'll see urethra or we'll see into that vaginal canal maybe more than we ever have because... The opening that used to be like smaller has been stretched early postpartum and it returns. I don't know if it returns exactly the same, but yeah, that's a scary, that's a scary visual. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I definitely looked, I've looked earlier this time and looked more often this time too, to just like track. And my urethra looks kind of swollen still, which has been interesting. Okay. Um, Not, I don't know if swollen is the right term, but just like more prominent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that um, with Owen and Elsie, when I knew more about pelvic floor and I was paying more attention, that was the case mm-hmm. for a few months. And that was cons- like that shocked me after having my first son. Sometimes urethras are hard to find. Like a lot of people have never even seen their pee hole because it's like kind of tucked under yep. um, labia minora. And, like it's pretty inconspicuous. It's kind of like over it. Yeah. And so... Yeah, like sometimes nobody, you, people don't even know where their urethra is. Right. And so now all of a sudden you can see it. It's like, whoa. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. But if you think of like all that skin getting around it, getting stretched out during birth, it makes sense why it's, you know, mm-hmm. more prominent. Um, so prolapse, mm-hmm. we have the bladder, uterus, rectum, as mm-hmm. far as like pelvic organs and Mm -hmm. orifices then you have variations of each of those so like your intestine Mm, enteroseal yeah i don't enteroseal um and then your urethra seal so if your urethra is is more prominent but Mm -hmm. then you have your cystoseal which is your bladder Mm -hmm. and you have your um uterus so the cystoseal the bladder is when the bladder is prolapsing into the vaginal canal the, the urethra seal is when the urethra is coming down into kind of vulva. Yeah. You know, the outside re- world. Yeah. Rectoseal is the rectum. Again, prolapsing into the vaginal canal. It's like a little pooch. Mm-hmm. So into the vagina. What is it when the rectum prolapses out? Dumb? So that's a rectal prolapse. Okay. So a rectal prolapse is different than a rectal seal. Okay. So seal is kind of, you think, pouch. Okay. Like cystoseal, uh, okay. seal. That's like the Latin. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I'm totally like just making my own connections. Okay. Yep. Um, and then you have the vaginal vault yep. prolapse, which is like the whole vault like coming down. But then you have like an anterior wall and a posterior wall that can be lax and coming down. So there's a ton of variations of prolapse. Mm-hmm. And you probably don't have just one, maybe. You know, there's... Right. A very high chance that everything's connected. Right. You know, that, lots going all on. All the soft tissue that's in there is all very, like, interrelated. And so after having a vaginal birth, prolapse is 
um, a very common occurrence because of the pressure that we're generating when we're pushing the baby out. Mm -hmm. And that pressure not only pushes the baby out, but it, you know, pushes everything else down. And then you think like laxity, stretching, hormones, all those factors are going to play into how elastic, you know, elastic your tissues are and how fast they kind of go back to where they belong. Yeah. I doubt that they, you know, it's, it's assessed regularly, but I bet you, you grunted. <laughs> it would be interesting to kind of get those measurements postpartum and kind of track the regression. Because I think something that a lot of women get fearful of is they think, I was told I had a grade two prolapse. They told me it's never going to get better. And they tell me that's just Lies. the way it is. Lies. And it's like, well, me, early postpartum, you may have had a grade three prolapse. Right. And after you're constipated, maybe it's a grade three prolapse. You've got a, some good bowel movements and some good core engagement and some good pressure management. Maybe it's a grade one prolapse. Maybe it's a zero prolapse. And it can fluctuate within yeah. like a day or a week or, yeah. you know, our, our bodies are always changing in yeah. their tension, their position and movements. We didn't actually say the levels. Oh, so so zero is that you bear down. There's no anterior posterior wall descent. Two is there's a little bit. One. One. Two is there's a little bit more, but it's not. It's a one centimeter above the vaginal opening. Three is that it's within one centimeter of the vaginal opening. And four is that it's beyond the vaginal opening, the hi- like beyond the hymen. Maybe so many doctors kind of see the descent of the organs at that like four week or six week checkup that they don't really say anything because it's so com- I mean, of course, you're still yeah. healing, right? Why yeah. wouldn't there be some some downward? Movement? Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, later people find out they have prolapse and they're like, oh, I was never told. Well. It's just such right. a fluid thing. Like, and some, it, like I, I mean, I was not assessed for prolapse at my six-week appointment. Right. Um, so I wasn't assessed until two years postpartum. With when LC, you asked. When I asked. So yeah. me and my provider were, you know, we like nerded out during my session. And I was like, yeah, like just check me. However, when she checked me, she didn't have me bear down, which is crucial in assessing prolapse. Mm -hmm. And I was laying down. So it's always good to get in positions that you're more symptomatic, which is usually against gravity, right? Like standing up. Well, and I I think the proper way, like the official research-based way to actually assess a prolapse and grade it appropriately is called the POP-Q. And that is a standardized way that urogynecologists and gynecologists and whoever diagnose and assess in order to help them plan surgically, like maybe what needs to happen if it's a surgical case or not. So that's where they use a speculum. They have you bared down and they actually take measurements of how far the organs are, are moving with bearing down. As physical therapists, pelvic floor physical therapists, we can assess anterior wall and posterior wall descent, an organ descent, and we can kind of estimate, again, that is not as uh, hard and fast. And I'm not comfortable saying you have a grade three prolapse. I've seen two now grade, very obvious grade four prolapses. <laughs> and so I felt comfortable being like, yeah, horse's head is out of the barn. We got to refer that. But other than that, there's so many degrees right. of variation to give it a definite number. 
is not responsible if you're not doing the pop cue. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, also symptoms yeah. do not always directly correlate with the level. So there's four grades. There's four or five. Four. four. Mm-hmm. So there's four levels of prolapse. Zero and zero, one, two, three, four. Okay. Yeah. So um, some people with like a level one prolapse might be really bothered by it and be very symptomatic. Whereas others that might have like a two don't even know that they have a prolapse. I had, so my, one of my clients who has had a, had had a hysterectomy, but the cervix was intact, wasn't removed with the hysterectomy. Her cervix fully came out of her body when she bared down, didn't have any symptoms of heaviness. Really? Didn't report heaviness, had bladder symptoms, had bowel symptoms, but not, didn't report feeling fullness or heaviness. So then you kind of think, are symptoms driven neurologically, feeling and like proprioception and skin? But that what that speaks to is, yeah, like there's so much variation. And so having an individualized assessment and then helping guidance through that process is critical. Yeah. So what would you say are like your big prolapse symptoms? Like what would you? I had super painful poops. Mm -hmm. Really, really painful. Like felt like labor would bring me to the floor in tears. Um, Worse with my periods. Do you think that that was because your pelvic floor was cramping to try to help get that pocket? So so what will happen and why poops are difficult with prolapse is that a little bit of poop gets stuck in a pocket that's coming into vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. So do you think that was your body trying to push the rest of that poop out and down? Well, usually only have painful poops like the day before and the first day of my period. So, so I think it might have been like an inflammatory the thing. prostaglandins yeah. cramping, more stuff like that. But I would have to splint a lot. Mm-hmm. But I also am not constipated in the fact that like my my poops aren't hard, mm. ev- hardly ever. But I, yeah, but if things were a little bit more lax, a little bit more inflamed. That having yep. to splint would just mean like, okay, like that's giving a little bit more. Even if it's the softest poop in the world, it's still right. getting kind of trapped. Right. Mm. And so I think like the pressure, but also like the inflammation and prostaglandins just made it really painful. I don't know how long I've had a rectocele because I almost think it went back like way back before kids with like the anal fissures. Right. That's that's what I was going to say. Yeah. But I think it got worse after Elsie, my third. I remember that first poop postpartum, I was literally using their training potty because I couldn't handle sitting on the toilet. It hurt so bad. I was like crying, like mm. full out tears, like so scared to let go. So my pelvic floor was just clenching so hard, which so, is not good. So when then, like poop. what? Yeah. So, then so is like it pressure. prolapse or is it pelvic floor clenching? A tight pelvic floor. Probably both. That they're feet making each other worse. Yes. Yes. But, yeah. And then um, during the Herman Wallace course, when we were doing exams, like, my partner felt a pocket Mm -hmm. and there was, like, stool in there. Like, the the lab assistant came over and, like, assessed it. She's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's probably the rectocele, I would assume. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I didn't feel it. Or just that you had, like, your bowel was just had poop in it. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. Coming back to the fact that you think that that maybe even existed like pre-children is that there actually has been some study on female active duty military Mm -hmm. who are have not had children 
who are airborne, so jumping that jump out of airplanes, and rock with heavy rucksacks. High impact, and high pressure. They have a, a pretty significant uh, incidence of bladder urinary incontinence as well as pelvic organ prolapse. Mm-hmm. No, no children. And, yeah. and so it speaks to the fact that prolapse isn't exclusive to vaginal births. No, it's not, not exclusive to women who have had children, weightlifters, you know, that kind of thing. Those athletes that are in very high impact sports totally could have prolapse. It's a pressure problem. Mm-hmm. We, we talked on the one of the episodes like I was told I had a tight butt in high school yeah. with the anal fissures. Think so, of like how tight that butt is. It's going to push on the walls of your rectum yeah. even more if when the, you have to. If it's all backed up, all that mm-hmm. poop is backed up, even if it's not hard. Mm-hmm. It's got to go somewhere. Right. And so if it, it's going to push in, like, I mean, the, our vaginal walls are not rigid. Right. They're really flexible. And so it's going to push into the, the vaginal canal. Yeah. And that's prolapse. So, I mean, that's what it is. And I think the kids, you know, it's just more pressure, more pregnancy and everything else. So mm-hmm. um, there's probably a few things going on. Some moms are, or people in general, women, are so anxious to get like a label. Like, right. what grade am I? But I would send some caution because when you get, I didn't know what grade I was for two years. And I did that on purpose. Like, I didn't want to know. It didn't right. matter to me. No. I was addressing my symptoms with my PT exercises and modifying my workouts. And and then when I felt better one year postpartum and I started to sprint and do more, you know, high level things. And then two year postpartum, I felt literally like myself again. Yeah. It took two years yeah. <laughs> of very consistent work and mindfulness and reconnection. However, I never had internal PT which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. I think that would have really helped. Um, and two, I swear that when your babies are walking and you're not lifting them as much, like in and out of the car or a crib, mm-hmm. that makes a huge, 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 huge difference. Yeah. Because as soon as Elsie started walking at around a year, I just felt more progression. And then at two years when she was more independent, it was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. But then you got to factor and breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. hormones. Mm -hmm. So the laxity caused by your hormones is going to affect those pelvic organs, your pelvic floor, you know, the healing of those things. I think, yeah, what all that says is like, we can't, we can't slap a label on prolapse and say that that's what you're stuck with. And that's what you're going to have. And it reminds me a lot of how diastasis recti used to get talked about. Right. So we used to be so scared of DRA and all the stuff you'd see online was like, you can never do a sit up again, never do this again, never do that again. You're probably going to need surgery and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden there was this shift because there was some really good research that came out that was like, actually, we need to load that tissue. Actually, Mm -hmm. for something to heal, we have to strengthen it. Like, Like, what do you think? So we're getting there with the abs. We're getting there with even the pelvic floor. But I think people are very scared of the word prolapse and thinking like, ooh, that's something that uh, I don't know how to deal with. And people who have it are really nervous and really scared too. And so then we, we kind of are fearful when it's like, well, actually, if you understand that our core is made up of our ab, like our core muscles in the front, our back muscles in the back, 
our diaphragm, and our pelvic floor. The prolapse is just a symptom of what's happening in one of the four of those core muscles. Mm-hmm. And so if you are addressing your core, your abdominal muscles, your DR, with good pressure management, with good breathing strategies, you're also treating the prolapse. One of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to prolapse, and I'm probably more sensitive because I've lived it, is when people are told, don't lift heavy. Don't go back to weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Don't do high pressure things. We need pressure. We need pressure to stabilize our bodies. We need pressure to move fluids in our bodies and our blood and our lymph and our air and our food. Like all of those things, our bodies depend a lot on pressure. And to say, we'll never generate pressure. Okay, well, then you're just going to get weaker and weaker and weaker if you're never using your abs. If you tore your hamstring right? No one would tell you, oh, don't ever strengthen that hamstring again. (laughs) You'd be like, "Uh, actually, I think I need to really strengthen my hamstring so it doesn't tear again. Our bodies are incredibly resilient and incredibly responsive to the load and the demand that we put on it. Mm -hmm. So you tear your hamstring now and then you never strengthen your hamstring again, never challenge that hamstring again. It's going to be a crappy hamstring. It's going to bother you all the time. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the pelvic floor. Same thing with prolapse is like if we don't strengthen the support system it's going to get weaker in our core system which is directly related to that prolapse or diastasis or mm-hmm. breathing patterns that is the pinnacle of all of our movement right so we have to so how, yeah how can you say like work on oh, that. if you have prolapse you can do this but not this well, it's like well how can i yeah like how could i how could i even do an overhead press right how can i do upper body work that has an impact on my pelvic floor. Yep. That has an impact on my pressure in my body and therefore has an impact on my prolapse. And yeah. so to, to say like this is prolapse safe, this is not, is absolutely dumb. And that leads me to I preach and preach and preach. It's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. You could have four different people doing a plank and feeling completely different muscles working Mm -hmm. or doing a lunge or doing whatever exercise. It's not the exercise you're doing. It's how you're facilitating that movement, what muscles you're using to stabilize, your position. What do you feel? Exactly. And that goes back to that mind-body connection and how it's so, 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 so important postpartum to reconnect our mind and body or our Mm -hmm. brain and body Mm -hmm. for control and awareness over movement because I see moms all the time who just jump right back in. They take that six or eight weeks off, right? Maybe. And then they just jump right back into these workouts and these movements that they think are easy, like sit-ups or jumping jacks or things that are actually pretty like high level and require a lot of core but they're pressure. body weight so they can't be that hard right or they've done them before so it's easy for them because that's a, a familiar exercise mm-hmm. right but that doesn't mean their postpartum body is, is necessarily ready for that mm-hmm. and so that gradual progression of rebuilding that core system and learning to breathe to manage your pressure and position to manage your pressure is so huge so huge so like <laughs> Uh, yeah, it just drives me crazy because I, you know, I think always think back to orthopedics. So yeah, like you tore your ACL or you had ACL surgery, or you had a really bad ankle sprain, something that's not surgical. So you sprain your ankle really bad. Some people are going to be fine to rest 
and then kind of gradually get back to things and and maybe they don't need one on oh maybe they don't need one-on-one guided therapy but some people if they don't address the reasons why they they injured got injured badly in the first place it's going to be a lifelong a lifelong thing mm-hmm. And so why not just err on the side of like, well, I have this this injury from birth, whether it was from your belly or from your vagina. Make sure you're heading at least in the right direction. Get a little guidance and then you can take off and you can go for it and feel like more confident in that. And it's so much easier to either prevent issues by knowing things whatever you know your goal is or whatever you're working towards Mm -hmm. knowing how to do things or red flags yellow flags so prevent the issue yeah or at least get ahead of it like when you start to feel symptoms jump on it now don't wait months to years when you're in this chronic pattern and you developed all of these compensations because your pt will thank you if you go right away i not wait yeah i cannot even lie that like i felt really good and so I've wanted to jump into some higher intensity things, but I, I'm being care- I'm watching it, even walking. So like mm-hmm. trying, okay, I'm like walking the block and walking the dog and walking with the baby. And so I'm still being aware of what, if I'm like wearing him in the wrap, I know that, that my tendency with that would be to kind of extend. And then when I get home, I would maybe feel a little bit more pressure. And so I'm like, Okay, walking, which seems like a very easy activity that should be that your doctor, you know, that's someone be like, yeah, that's a great activity. It's low impact. That causes me more symptoms, pelvic floor, prolapse, whatever. Then today I did some like weighted kettlebell front squats. No symptoms. Could really feel pelvic floor working, could really feel abs working. And what would someone be more afraid of? With prolapse. Lifting, for sure. They would be more scared of doing those doing those squats where that actually made everything feel a whole lot better than yeah. it than walking did. Mm-hmm. So walking like, you know, so I think like rethinking what is good pelvic floor rehab, what is good postpartum rehab. Yeah, and that's gonna depend, you know, so much on individuals, but then again, like learning your body and knowing what symptoms to respect and what's what feelings like you can push through like in a normal not directly postpartum right but like in normal life muscle achiness sure push through that you're tired good like if you want (laughs) to work your muscle go push through that if you're getting joint pain eh, you might not want to push through that because that's not something that you can't move for like four days right you know like Okay, like that, we maybe overdid things a little bit. Right. So with prolapse symptoms, you want to be cautious with are an increase of like heaviness in your pelvic floor, feeling like things are just not coming out, but just heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, some people feel like it's like a tampon feeling, like, like a tampon's kind of like falling out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Or it's out. in there, and it, but there's not one in there. Yeah. Right. But also with prolapse, you can get like back pain. Mm, yep. Yeah, and because of all those like ligamentous and soft tissue connections and abdominal pain even. Right. Yeah. So there's other symptoms to look for, but pain. to respect those. So don't push through those. If mm-hmm. you're feeling those, you need to like back off, mm-hmm. change what you're doing. So two symptoms that of prolapse that I find people 
report a lot, but they don't realize our prolapse symptoms are when you go pee and then you stand up and a couple more drops of pee fall out. And what that is, is the pee that's in that little pocket in that vaginal canal. When you go to stand up and lean forward, it kind of rocks out of the urethra and, and drips out. And that can be a signal that you have a little bit of cystocele. The other one is, yeah, having trouble completely emptying your bowel. And one that people don't like to talk about, but is totally a real thing, is like fecal smearing. So when you think you're done going poop, you either have to wipe a ton or you think you're done, you move around and then you've got like poop stains. So like racing stripes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. And, and it's like, like, we don't like, we don't have to be embarrassed about that. It's just like, oh, that's a symptom of my pelvic floor, my, my rectum. Maybe not doing exactly what it's supposed to be. Do you remember doing. as a kid, like, did you ever yeah. hear people talk about racing stripes in, like, your underwear? Yeah. Or, like, um, skid marks, skid marks. That's what yeah. we... <laughs> like, to think that's, like, a pelvic floor. Yeah. And I think in kids, a lot of times it's, like, not enough attention Probably to... not good hygiene. Yeah. Like, just not wiping properly. But, yeah, no, it's, like, a legit pelvic floor symptom and I think even on my intake forms people are like embarrassed to circle that mm -hmm. like people aren't so much embarrassed to like talk about their urinary symptoms but like difficulty emptying bowels or constipation or fecal smearing or which is fecal incontinence people are definitely more embarrassed about that postpartum this time I definitely had some of that and it's getting better and but it, to me it's like oh okay I been doing too much so it's it's just a marker to say it's a sign yeah like oh okay you're holding too much tension and it's making it difficult to empty your bowel properly yeah all right let, what do we need to do to remedy that and then it goes away yeah um, but i think ignoring it or not talking about it would make that continue to not help it get get better Right. Um, squatty potty will be really helpful for that so my biggest change even in our whole family I, we started after I was postpartum with Elsie. We just all use wipes for BMs now. Like, I just feel like it's cleaner. I don't know. Like, we just all do. And, and it really helped with my anal fissures back when I was dealing with that. So you need to, to get use a... wipes mm. and not toilet paper. So I was using, I had, so I had a hemorrhoid from pushing a little bit with, well, I don't know if it was from pushing, but I think I might have had it at the end of pregnancy a little bit. And it was in, a little inflamed after he was born. Mm-hmm. So I was actually using the peri bottle one to like spray. I need a bidet. That's what we all need. Right, right. That would be ideal. And then I was actually kind of like padding with a tux pad, mm -hmm. which is like wet, moist. Ew. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the word. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I get that. I think I my fear would be is like we have like a kind of a sketchy septic system. <laughs> I'd be so nervous that like the kids would put them kids down. Kids would accidentally flush it or no. Like, instead, Owen puts the toilet paper in the trash can. Why? Why are we putting toilet paper in the trash can? I mean, That's our latest your, like protect your septic. <laughs> please put the toilet paper in the toilet mm -hmm. um but no like with anal fissures or hemorrhoids when you have yeah, like that, that irritation, irritation mm -hmm. if any fecal matter is left over that can really Ooh, sting yeah. and not feel good and irritate things well, and more just bacteria mm -hmm. and infection so wipes helped so much mm -hmm. when i was going through that so the peri bottle that i got before rose born 
uh, had like that curved end. Yeah. So you didn't have to like hold it all the way under and kind of hover in order to get all the water like spritzing up on your perineum Mm -hmm. and so that was like super helpful and i really should have got one of those tushies or one of those like attachments for the toilet because i still can i can it's not too late but like i definitely used that spritzer way longer this time than i did the first time around because i was like well this is this is kind of (laughs) nice i like would totally sorry because using i mean everyone using wipes makes my tree hugging heart you know, yeah. a little bit sad. So maybe we should just you get can... a bidet. But then kids with a bidet, oh yeah, that would be I awesome. would have just a swimming pool in the yeah. bathroom. Well, you and Ash could have a bidet, and then they can just use wipes for a little yeah. <laughs> until they're old enough to manage. Um, another symptom, common symptom of the cystocele is poor, prolonged urinary stream mm, stress. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. stress, urinary incontinence. So with the rectocele, you feel more vaginal pressure, discomfort, um, protrusion inside, like posterior or the backside of the vaginal wall, mm-hmm. and the need to reposition during bowel movements mm-hmm. or difficulty, like you said, getting it out. So the difference between the rectocele and the entrocele, I hope I'm saying that right, which is your small bowel. So from the like small intestine. Yeah, yep. yep, from the pouch of Douglas is kind of the same thing. You get vaginal pressure. That, push, that pushes into the vaginal canal. Is that more mm-hmm. common if someone's had a hysterectomy or had surgery? Like, I don't know. That would be a good thing so to So it's kind of like a hernia. Kind of, but inside like down, your vaginal yeah. wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think of some things that would maybe fake prolapse, which would like fake people out. Mm, that's a good question. So I'm thinking like a vulvar varicosity, maybe like if you had like a big the heaviness feeling. Mm-hmm. If yep. you had that, um, so that's just like a vein, a yep. vein that's big and swollen. Yeah. So Same you're thing. carrying a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. What about um the pelvic congestion? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just like a lot of fluid, whether it's like lymph or blood or mm-hmm. um just body fluids congesting in your pelvic floor. So you're, it's basically lack of circulation Mm -hmm. through that part of your body and then pelvic floor muscle imbalances or pelvic wall muscle imbalances like uh, a muscle called our obturator internus which is actually is technically not a pelvic floor muscle a pelvic wall muscle or yeah it's in the pelvic wall because it's right on the inside of your you know yeah so um, it's yeah it's part of the pelvic wall Mm -hmm. it is known to refer when it's Hence, refer pain into the rectum, refer pain into the abdomen, refer pain into the hip, vulva. Uh, <laughs> um, and so, so, so it could, even though it feels maybe like heaviness or pressure, maybe isn't prolapse. Mm-hmm. Again, I guess just sort of speaking to like get your stuff checked to know. Always want to get it checked out by mm-hmm. a professional because there's – and – How often is there only, like, one thing going on, right? Our bodies are so integrated. There might be a few things going on. And sort of teasing out what's the symptom driver. Um, Causes and contributing factors to prolapse. Prolapse surgery. So I read a statistic that over 200,000 mesh prolapse surgeries happen a year. And over $1 billion in the U.S. is spent on prolapse surgery. 
every year. And the, the sequela of like diagnosing it and treating it. Billion dollars. So it's a billion dollar industry prolapse. The failure rate of prolapse surgeries is high. I don't yeah. know. I don't have don't know the exact number. It's over 50 percent. But I think it, it's in the 60s. Yeah, not good. Not not great outcome. And how many year how many years would that be? Is that like at a five year or two year? Um, I have to look back on that study. I want to say it was yeah, like ten or it, seven years. I think I saw one that was like. I'll seven look back years. and we yeah. can add it in next. Time. So so okay. Again, I always go back to this like ACL analogy. So if sixty to seventy percent of ACLs that got repaired didn't work, would you do it? You know, right? Or like sixty to seventy percent of any any procedure. Okay, those aren't great odds, but is the issue with that the restrictions that get put on? People? Yeah, or just not how many? I want to know how many of those people had PT prior to surgery. Yeah, and after. Yeah, because if you are having a surgery, any surgery, oh, damn talks. Okay. Um, I feel like you need more than one person on your team. Oh, you know, like your healthcare team, maybe. A massage therapist, maybe a PT or an OT or a visceral mobilizations professional who can help with organs. And I mean, there's so many avenues of treatment. Our healthcare is so segregated. Mm -hmm. It's hard to like, I don't know. Well, and I think historically, you know, physical therapy hasn't been in the gynecological surgery world. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, in orthopedics, PTs and orthopedics have been kind of hand in hand a whole lot longer and they recognize that they're mutually beneficial to each other. Right. But it is a newer thing to have pelvic floor PTs working with a urogynecologist or working with a gynecologist um, to force multiply. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like improve patient outcomes, improve satisfaction, improve, decrease the number of surgeries you have to do um, and really work together to benefit more people. Right. I think I think if that continues to if that becomes the norm, well maybe you see those numbers get better. Right. Teaching women how to lift weights, teaching them how to strengthen the pelvic floor is going to improve the longevity of that mesh or or whatever is put in there. This is where it comes back to each of us, like we need to advocate for ourselves and build that team. If you have a surgeon or a doctor who's not recommending PT, you need to ask those questions if that's something that you think would be beneficial to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and if they're not willing to like entertain a referral to a PT, I might go find another surgeon or doctor. Right. right. I know I would because then, but because I would then recommend. It, yeah. Then it makes it. Then it seem like then it would feel like then you don't have a team. Then you're depending completely on this on the surgeon. And And a surgeon that doesn't understand the importance of you know working on those movements and healing. I think it's important for me to have healthcare professionals that are willing to work together because we all have a set of skills. And the more skills you have at your disposal, Mm -hmm. the quicker, hopefully, your outcomes are going to be. Yeah. Right? Totally. So making sure you're advocating for yourself, whatever that is. If it's postpartum, getting a PT referral. And a lot of states do have direct access. Right. So first, you got to know if your state has direct access. If it does... Most okay. I North think, Carolina definitely does. Yeah, most most states do. do. Some of them have where like you have direct access for thirty days, and then that's after, like Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
the thing is, is you're, you need a referral if you have an insurance company and you need to know your insurance company's um, Policy, pro- yeah. Yeah, policies, but the referrals for the insurance company to cover the care. Yeah. So, you know, you could pay out of pocket if you're just having all these hoops and <laughs> hurdles mm-hmm. to get through, or you can, you know, get pre-off by your insurance company to make sure they'll cover it. But um, I think a lot of people think they have to have a doctor's order to get PT. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a direct access state, you do not. That's going to depend on your insurance carrier. Yeah. It just boggles my mind. Because like, if a patient came to a provider, like if I went to a doctor and I said, hey, I'm dealing with XYZ symptom. I think I re- I've done a little research and I think uh, public floor physical therapy would be really helpful to me. Um, what do you think? Can you write me a referral? And they said, no, <laughs> like, no, you don't need that just be like okay bye like, yeah you are the driver in your healthcare. Yeah. everyone needs to remember that yeah. yes you're going to medical professionals to get advice or, and treatment or, and diagnoses or, or explain to yeah explain to me why you're giving me that answer right are you giving me that answer because there's nobody around you're giving me that answer because you don't understand you're giving me that answer because the therapist that's local has like hurt patients that you know of which i highly doubt that that's a thing so like please explain and if you can't explain yeah again then see you later like and a lot of it might be just due to their lack of knowledge on what uh pelvic pt does how it can help what what things it can help so just always remember that you are sorry the ultimate decision maker in your healthcare. care crazy saying (laughs) you're the boss of your own body (laughs) He's so sweet. So there's one study that I found um, in 2014, 9,000 Prima Paris. Is that how you say it? Like, isn't that one kid, one baby? Oh, prim- yeah, one. Okay. Prima Paris, one year postpartum, okay. 80% were asymptomatic. However, oh. okay. 89% had a uterine prolapse, okay. 90% a cystocele, 70% a rectocele. And up to 65% of those, it was grade two. Yeah. So cool because 80% of those people were asymptomatic, mm-hmm. right? And so then you take the 20% that are, can you rehab them and make them feel better too? Right. And they talked a lot about the collagen levels. So that's going to be a huge thing in recovery and those tissues going back to kind of where. I'm taking collagen. Yeah. <gasps> Me too. Protein? <laughs> yeah. No way. Yeah. Like what? the vital proteins, whatever. That's so funny. Ash has like a collagen protein shake that I've been using. But then the collagen levels, you get to talking about laxity, weakness, mm-hmm. your tissue extensibility. Yeah, so and if someone's hypermobile, like has extra flexibility that they would be maybe like something like airless danlos yep. puts you at a higher risk of that mm-hmm. happening. And then thinking of um, nerve involvement, the nerves aren't are compressed or are not firing as well. Um Ligaments, fascial integrity, like all those things are playing a role. So prolapse is not just a simple issue. And I think breastfeeding really plays a role with the relaxant in the bloodstream up to, what, two months after you stop breastfeeding. There's still some of that hormone left. So that is going to impact your pelvic organs and your soft tissues and how, um, you know, elastic they are. And it's huge. We did not talk about PRI. I love PRI when it comes to prolapse because I feel like it really helped me explain 
why my butt was so tight <laughs> and why the front of my pelvic floor was so lengthened, like that pubic pain, like not having support in the front of my pelvic floor. So thinking of that pregnancy position when your spine is extended, your pelvis is tilted forward, your, your ribs are flared up so that as that baby grows, you have to make room, right? And it's going to go forward and out. Um, so those ribs kind of elevate and and everything to make room. And that extension pattern closes down the back half of your pelvic floor. So your piriformis, your glute max, your coccygeus muscle, right? And so I feel like that can also contribute to some of the constipation when you're pregnant. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, constipation, right? So you put more poop in the in there and you don't let it out. Mm-hmm. It's going to create more downward pressure. Again, mm-hmm. we talked about that poop needs to go somewhere and the vaginal mm-hmm. wall is flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that over over time is going to going to be problematic. Yeah. Right. And then in that extension pattern too, that front half of the pelvic floor is in a more and this is very simplified, but Lengthened. just to, yeah. in a lengthened position. So that would help explain why people have more stress incontinence or they're not or maybe prolapse. Like yeah. I know when my butt was tight and I was starting to have symptoms of just like clenching or tightness or any like difficulty pooping, that was when my prolapse was so, like more. I, this may be an unpopular opinion. I get really annoyed by the research that re- that fairly recently came out that says the best way to cue someone to engage their pelvic is the butt? floor no. is to tell them to <laughs> no. stop them, like stop passing gas. No. So squeeze your anus. Okay. No. <laughs> well, no, duh. That's, it's in a position to engage. Mm-hmm. That's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why are we going to make the part, the the area of that muscle that's already overactive, super overactive mm-hmm. more overactive, and then create more tension in an area that's already holding tension? If someone can't feel themselves picking up a marble with their vagina or can't feel their like engagement around their urethra so more in the anterior pelvic floor that doesn't mean you don't try to train that up and And it depends on the pelvic position right like your muscle activation your pelvic floor is dependent on the pelvic position So, are you more tilted forward more tilted back more tilted to one side or to the other and so we are our bodies are are really good and smart you're going to contract where you're already strong and you're not going to contract where you're weak because it goes, oh, I'm weak there. I'm just going to ignore that. And so to say like, oh, we can get better, better contraction with the back so that that's what we should be cueing. Boo. Like I say, no, that's, boo on that. yeah, I agree. That's probably not the way to go because then you're going to create more issues in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hip position, pelvic position, spinal position. Even rib position, because your rib position is going to dictate your diaphragm position, which is going to help or hinder your pelvic floor movement. Mm -hmm. So, oh, this is like getting into Kegels, which could be a whole episode. (laughs) But, um, yeah, if your back half is tighter, it's very likely that your front half is going to be in a more lengthened position. And this is why uh, I'm going to go down so many rabbit holes that I don't want to do. So... We can t- we'll talk about all that later, but 
when I was rehabbing with prolapse, I would literally do my exercises every morning because I was symptomatic when I woke up because oh. my back was so tight mm-hmm. from sleeping with babies or sleeping in a weird position after feeding or like, you mm-hmm. know, not sleeping very well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, and and it would help. And so using positions and movements that balance out your core system and help you manage and create pressure in a good way that you can, you know, tolerate that your pelvic floor can tolerate so huge, but it takes time. It took time mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting some and of those demands and, and information guidance. And so, yeah, I'm always, I'm always slow to answer prolapse questions when they come in like on social media because I don't know. There's don't, so many things. It's, it's more complicated than just try these simple exercises and see what happens. Um, but I will say, you know, depending on your genetics, depending on your resources, depending on, you know, your recovery journey and who was involved, I think it's completely possible to get back to doing what you want to be doing mm-hmm. after you've been diagnosed with prolapse. I mean, I'm doing, I literally, I don't really have symptoms anymore yeah, that's awesome. unless I do crazy things like do three hard workouts in a row or something like that. I tried some squat jumps. Yeah. This morning. Because so I, I was doing like... Like those weighted goblet squats. I was like, those feel really good. I'm just curious what coming down and jumping feels like. Yeah. Um, and it felt really good. Cool. I didn't do like a lot, but I was like, hmm, I'm just curious yeah. what this feels like. Which to me is really big. Like jumping is really important to me because I want to be able to play volleyball. Mm-hmm. And so I probably would try those things a lot sooner than I'd maybe advise someone else to try them. Right. So I, I think cool. I'm, I think this time around it's going to be more reining myself in than like trying to. I've done some really stupid shit like <laughs> postpartum before I knew better. Uh-huh. Even okay so even in seventh grade this is my kind of personality and I've gotten a lot better but in seventh grade I had my appendix out. So like I got my appendix out. I think I stayed a day in the hospital came home. I tried to do crunches <laughs> Literally two you days postpartum. On your appendectomy scar, <laughs> it moves really well. Does it? Okay. Yeah, um, but how dumb is that? I like literally probably almost blew a stitch because I tried to crunch up. It hurt so bad that it just threw me to the floor again. So that is like that athlete brain, you know, that, oh, it's just a tiny little scar. Yeah, (laughs) no big deal. But I remember with Owen, it must have been not even two weeks postpartum. I shouldn't even admit to this. This is dumb. Do not do this. And this was before I like really knew better. But I was like, oh, I'm feeling really good. I want to go see how, like, jogging feels. I Dude. Just, I didn't have just an almost 11-pound baby come out of me. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> like, no wonder I had pro <laughs> No. <laughs> so I didn't make it, like, 10 steps. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah. You know, it's always when we have that, like, sh- sudden change in our bodies, I'm always curious to see what it can do, you know? Like, hmm. Oh. So the end, I had, I had not been running before I got pregnant. I had been working out, but running was not a part of my program at that point in time. So then when I became pregnant, I was like, yeah, I'm just working out. I don't need to be running. I'm not going to run. And like the last trimester, I was just like craving going for a run so bad that I was like, oh, I can't wait for this baby to come out so I can start running again. 
I know that that is not an ideal activity. <laughs> it's not that the impact of a hop or a jump is a problem. It's the fact that it's that repeated over so repetitive over time. Yeah. And so the endurance, the endurance that that requires is huge. Mm-hmm. And I know that I don't have that whoopsie, that endurance. Yeah, you are milk drunk, my love. <laughs> Did you have a slacker and a super boob? Yes. Um. Oh, every time, right at the end. Every time, bud. Two for two. You know. He signals the end of the episode. <laughs> he does. <laughs> it's <just> like... <laughs> so... Yeah, it's so it's so bizarre. So my right boob is like turbo boob, like really. I like, was the opposite. Makes so much milk. He just he does have a little bit of a preference for it. And do you think that's why it makes more milk? I, maybe and um, like posturally, it's like easier for me to nurse him on that side from my own like scoliosis stuff. Mm-hmm. So my left side, it's so weird. I think it does make a decent amount of milk. It just doesn't like get big so i feel like it it's not but when i've pumped on it it's making a decent amount so it just doesn't like expand as much so which could be maybe like my ribcage position i don't know anyway i remember my right boob is worthless my left boob like leaks constantly so like how much how much of that do you think it has to do with lymph flow oh i think it's totally lymph flow but, like, because if your rib cage is, like, rotated, it's going to restrict flow on, like, one side. Maybe. I need to look at a lymph. Do, do you remember how the lymph goes? Do, isn't it, like, left to right? I don't know. Like, around the body? I need to look at a lymph map. But, but yeah. it's so cool. So then, like, multiple times we've gone out in public and I, like, may or may not have put, like, a breast pad in. I don't need to put it on the right side because the right side's chill. Doesn't, But, like, I'll have one in on the left side and it'll still be, like, soaked. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? That's <laughs> like, so crazy. But your right one produces more. More. Yeah. So I don't know if it, it produces the same amount on the left. It's just, like, a slow leak. Hmm. Interesting. I'll wake up and, like, have, like, a wet bed. It's really gross. And I wonder, um, like, moms with babies with... Um, like torticollis. Yeah. Like double- if that would influence, because they're obviously going to prefer one side versus the other. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they wouldn't nurse as long on the side like they didn't prefer. Stimulating it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, crazy. I feel like my left boob has always been bigger, though, than my right one. My right. Re- I mean, I don't know if I noticed beforehand, but my right one with Cam was because my left one basically just dropped off and I stopped pumping it, too. So I w- only had one boob that was making milk for like six months and it was like huge and then it was like (laughs) i had to like pad my bra because it was like a whole cup size or more different so let's do another comment contest so let us know what you have been told about prolapse what you've been told to do what to not do um Things that scared you about prolapse? What made you worried about prolapse? Tell us all the things. Tell us all the bad advice you got, all the good advice you got. And um, yeah, we want to know all about prolapse. Oh, we didn't talk about um, prolapse and sex and like pain. The wedge. 
Yeah. The wedge is amazing. So we're gonna link that shit in so the this is, yeah, this show is notes. important. So prolapse in sex is a big thing because if your bladder or your rectum or your uterus is moving into that vaginal canal, it's space taking up space. Mm-hmm. So if that anterior wall or cystocele is in the way, you can get like pinching right behind your pubic bone, mm-hmm. like with that out. It feels better on the in and then it kind of pinches on the out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for more like uterine prolapse, the wedge mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, the liberator is the one I have. So you stick something under your hips in to, order to for like, anti gravity. Mm-hmm. Yep. We didn't even go into like exercise and stuff for prolapse, but with any prolapse, like a People tend to feel better in an anti-gravity position. Yeah. So either laying down or or laying down and putting something under your hips. But if you use the liberator or a wedge, mm-hmm. you're getting some of the anti-gravity so that when, um, you know, whatever, like your partner or toy or whatever is coming out, it's not pulling everything with it. Okay. So the wedge was huge. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to. T- so that could be two other episodes. Sex with prolapse. Exercises with prolapse. Yeah. Even I though mean, we said is, oh. there's not specific exercises, but there are ways to like... Concepts. Mm-hmm. For sure. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. You can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page don't beat around the bush podcast as well as our email account which is don't beat around the bush podcast at gmail.com you can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms so please subscribe comment and share all the bushy love it's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by addy and myself (laughs) and our music is provided by blockhead